Welcome to the P2C Plus Conference Podcast. Fabulous um, and painful. Uh, the articles on me was news to me. They just told me that a photographer would be taking pictures, and I was like, oh, gee, I just love that. Um, but I really appreciate you guys being patient and getting your picture taken. Uh, so yes, I am Jaquel. Um, some of you may have heard me yesterday, so you already saw like the official introduction. Um, in case you don't know, I'm 20. I feel like that might be a relevant thing to mention. So we're all peers here. Um, so it's really fun for me to speak at a conference like this because it's not like I'm the wise old guru. Um, wow, they are really loud next door. Um, I'm not the wise old guru. I will just talk. I will talk louder than you. Um, I'm not the wise old guru. I am just a friend who is of your age and generation who has been given some really cool, exciting opportunities. And I am very privileged to be here, be here and share with you what God has been teaching me. Also, I feel like I should mention the guy who follows me around everywhere is my brother. Um, so I brought him to this conference, so you can embarrass him sometime, and his name is Travis, and he does not like to be embarrassed, but I like to embarrass him. So, uh, yeah, this is like the boring introduction, but today in this workshop, we are going to be talking about why you need the church and the church needs you, and I'm sure most of you are here because of that incredible plug that I gave last night. If there's one thing that I've learned, it's that self-promo will take you far, people. Um, so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12. But before we do that, I want to pray. I definitely think we need to pray. And then we'll get into this, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and your presence with us. I thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather here, to look at your word, to learn, to be together, and to hopefully know you more and be able to go back home um, changed in some way and delighted to live for you in all that we do. And I pray that this workshop would be a reflection of that, um, that you would give us a good time, uh, but that you would teach us through this. In Jesus' name, amen. So one thing that I actually love about this conference is how many different churches are represented here. Um, there's gotta be like dozens and dozens all across Canada, like that is just incredible to me. It's amazing how many schools are here, but especially how many churches are here. Um, and a little background on my church experience, I go to a very small church in a rural community just outside of Halifax, Nova Scotia. We uh, have a little log cabin church building, it's adorable. We just got our first snow a couple weeks ago and it looks like a postcard, it's so pretty. Um, on a good Sunday, we'll have about 50 or 60 people there. So again, it's not huge. Um, my dad is a senior pastor there and we've been there for about eight and a half years. And I just wanna tell you how much I love my church. I really love these people. Um, I love the Westcotts, they're this family that they have three kids, they have a fourth on the way. Um, Jake Westcott is an electrician, Lynette is a stay-at-home mom, and she homeschools all of the kids. Um, I love the Brydens, that's a couple in their 50s, that they're well off, but they serve the church in so, so many ways. Donna is our treasurer, and Stephen is like our all-around maintenance guy, so he's the person who like goes around and turns our heat on and turns it off. Um, I love the Londons, Willa London is a single mom who cares for foster kids. So at one time, she actually had 
six foster kids in her home and she has a minivan and she could not fit all the kids in her minivan at one time uh, because of car seats and whatnot. And the only time this would be a problem is when she came to church. And so we actually created a schedule at our church and one family from our church would, would go to her house every Sunday morning and would help bring some of her kids to church. Um, Ashley Gilbert is someone else I love at our church. She is a fellow single girl, but she just like pours herself into our church so much. It's incredible to see. She's one of those people that if someone is sitting alone or is hurting, like she knows and she goes and sits with them. She is a faithful prayer warrior. She's someone who just knows the needs. She knows how to identify the needs and she goes and she serves them. I love the several um, older people we have at our church. I love that we have tons of young families. We have so many babies at our church. Like, it's, our services are seriously crazy. Like, we have babies crying all the time, and it's amazing um, because our, our church is growing and it's thriving. Uh, I love our seniors and our empty nesters and our successful tech experts and our stay-at-home moms. We have such a diverse, beautiful church, and I love it. I love my church. That does not mean that they are always perfect or that I like what they do, and trust me, vice versa. Um, but I love these people, and I know that they love me because they are my family. And in this session, I want to answer the question, why is the local church so crucial for young Christians? Why is it so important at this stage in the game right now um, does the church really need us, and what role do we play in the church? So if you have heard almost anything about the church and young people, it's that young people are leaving the church. So that's all the statistics are going to tell you. Young people are just leaving the church in droves. Um, multiple studies show that 40 to 50% of high school seniors end up leaving the local church after graduation. So if they were raised in the church by high school graduation, 40 to 50% are gone. But more than that, there are just consistently less young people in the church, even before they graduate. A lot of young people in our generation feel and think and believe that they just do not need the local church. And I don't know what you feel and think and believe. I don't know what your faith background is. But what I do know is that our generation craves community and we crave authenticity, and I believe that the local church is where we are meant to find that. But a lot of, a lot of Christians um, think that they can be part of the church. That's what I mentioned last night. That's the global, universal church. That just means all Christians everywhere, but they don't need to be part of a local church, a local body of believers. In fact, the summer that I turned 13, I went to summer camp for the first time, and the last time, but that's a different story. Um, <laughs> you can ask me about it later, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but it was a Christian camp, and it seemed like the most common question that, I don't know if you guys have been to camp, but you go to camp, and you're like meeting all these new people, and so you, know, you start the conversations, and the most common question to start the conversation is, what church do you go to? Um, and because I'm a people pleaser, and I really like to stick to the status quo, uh, when I met one of my cabin mates, I asked her this question that seemed very natural. What church do you go to? Um, and she got super awkward and super uncomfortable and kind of defensive and admitted that her family did not go to church. Not because they weren't Christians, 
but because they they thought that God was completely cool with them loving Jesus, but ignoring his church. Um, they believed that the church was not central to a Christian's life, and they figured that Christians just like they don't they don't need the church. Jesus, yes, um, church, take it or leave it. And this 13-year-old girl represented a pattern among our generation. Um, college or university students are searching for belonging and community in life, but have come to believe that the church is not the place that they can find it. And I believe that this is one of the most destructive lies in our generation. That sounds, that sounds like an exaggeration, but I'm not exaggerating. I believe that this is one of the things that is hurting our generation so, so much. I believe that because I think scripture makes clear if you are a Christian, you need the church. Period, full stop, whatever age you are. So why do students need the church? Because every Christian needs the church. But why is that? Why, why do Christians need the church? Ultimately, because scripture calls us to it. Um, we see this all throughout the New Testament. Uh, now there is no one verse that says, thou shalt go to church, that would make things a lot easier. But it is instead a pattern that is just woven throughout the New Testament. So Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and, and plant churches, to make disciples and baptize them. Um, he said that on Peter, he would build his church. He sent Paul to be a church planter among the Gentiles. And then if you start looking through the epistles, the letters, um, it's just bold and blatant through all of them. So most fundamentally, like almost every epistle was written to a local church. Um, all of the wisdom and counsel that these epistles give are in the context of a specific local church. So the pattern of scripture is that you get saved and then you join a church. Um, I heard a quote from D.A. Carson the other day, and he just said, in the early uh, days of the New Testament church, it was unfathomable for a Christian to not be a part of a church. If you read through the book of Acts, you will see this happen again and again and again. Now, in Hebrews 10.25, which Hebrews was most likely a sermon preached to a local church, uh, we are told in this verse to not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Campus ministries are great. Power to change is great. I love it. But it is not the church. It can't replace the church. Um, and we should not try to make it. Christians are called to join with a local church, and young Christians are not exempt. And we know this because, again, you get back to your New Testament, if you're reading through the epistles, we know that there were children and teens and 20-somethings in the local churches that Paul and John and Peter were writing to because they specifically address us. Like, they tell children to obey their parents and call teens to sexual purity God's word has high, high, high expectations for young people. It does not excuse us from obedience because of our age, and that includes attending and engaging
and investing in a local church. But there's more. I think that young Christians uh, need the church to increase their joy. I think a local church will make you happier. A happier Jesus follower, um, a happier student, a person who can just face life with a greater confidence and delight in the plan of God. And I think that because you could compare it to being part of a good family. You have the joy of community, you have the joy of belonging, the joy of unconditional acceptance, you have the joy of accountability, and the joy of protection, you have the joy of growth, you have the joy of love. This diverse mishmash of people love you because you are their brother or sister in Christ. And this bond is deeper and stronger and more powerful than any other relational bond in your life, even than blood, because these are your people for eternity. So students who are following Christ need the church. Scripture calls us to it, and it will increase our joy. We need that. But the church equally needs students. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12. And Paul, I love this passage, because Paul makes so clear here that no member of the body, no member of the church is useless. We all have unique gifts and passions and perspectives that enable us to serve and strengthen the body in a special way. So 1 Corinthians 12, uh, and I'm going to read verses 14 through 20. And I just want to say, um, we're going to have time for questions at the end, but if you have a question that it's like, I'm going to forget this question in five minutes, feel free to throw your hand up and we can just deal with it right now. Okay? 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, oh, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Every Christian of any age or any gender or any ethnicity contributes to the good of the body. The church needs you. You unique, young, male, female, you, it, it needs you. And this is not a begrudging thing, like the way your family needs that weird, gross cousin, that it's like you need him because he's a part of your family, but nobody really likes him or wants him. Yeah, I hear the snippers out there. You all have one. Um, this, this is completely different. Paul is not saying, I mean, huh, the church would be really great if there were a hundred Daniel M's or a hundred Tim Days, but, you know, because we need students, I guess they can be part of the body. Uh, no, Paul would not want a hundred Daniel M's. I'm pretty sure Daniel would not want a hundred Daniel M's. God wants you, 
as a member of the body. You're gonna say, he is the one who saved you into the spiritual family. He didn't save you to just be a loner. He saved you to welcome you into the community of the church. Ephesians 5 says that Christ died for his church. Furthermore, there's been a really cool rise in evangelicalism in the last decade or so that's realizing just how vital young people are to the future and the preservation of the church. So suddenly books are starting to pop up all over the place that are talking about statistics and strategies. And these people recognize a very important truth. And it's that you, you and I are the future leaders of the church and the world. We have unmatched passion and energy and potential. We are capable of doing great things for the glory of God. We're not just junior Christians or junior members of the body kicking around to wait until we're old enough to do something really serious for God, to do something really worthwhile in the church. No, they recognize that we are in Christ, so we are in the church. There is no such thing as a junior member of the church. There is no such thing as a junior Christian. If you are a Christian, you need to be a part of the body because the local church needs you. Um, and it's no coincidence that Paul uses a physical body to illustrate the church. Have you ever studied the body? Um, I am a writer and a communications major and an English minor, so I'm not a scientist and I don't really know that much about anatomy. Um, I, for my science credit that I had to take, I took nutrition. Um, everyone knows it's the cop-out science credit. I took it. Uh, so I, I'm just going to say right now, I'm not uh, someone who knows a lot about the physical body. But um, I do know some. And from my limited study of the body, what I know is that the body is insanely complex. Like, it is made up of a lot of different parts. Just here, these facts about the human body. So the average grown body is made up of seven octillion atoms. That is a seven with 27 zeros behind it. When you're awake, your brain produces enough electricity to power a small light bulb. When you take one step, you are using up to 200 muscles. And finally, and this is the most interesting to me, without your pinky finger, your hand would lose about 50% of its strength. Even the smallest member contributes massively to the body. So now I want to deep dive into the practical a little bit. We've talked about why students need the church. We've talked about why the church needs students. But now I want to talk about what is our role in the body. And then after this, we're going to have a time for questions and discussion, and we can talk more about what this looks like. Um, our role fundamentally is the same as every other Christian. Like, I've, I've made clear there's no distinction in value. Like, just because we're younger does not mean that we are not legitimate parts of the body. And so our role is really the same. It just sometimes plays out in different ways. But our role is to love, serve, worship with, 
and be held accountable to the local church. So let's parse those four things out a little bit, um, and then we're going to move into Q&A. So first, we're called to love our church. It sounds obvious, it sounds basic, but we have to start here. Um, the most important or the most organic, basic way that we love our church is by showing up, <laughs> by actually attending and engaging. With so many youth, so many students leaving the local church, your church must delight in your exceptionality. You're different. And I mean, they know the church is not cool in the eyes of our culture, that it's not helping your image or ego. So your mere presence is a profound encouragement to them. Love also manifests itself in fellowship and hospitality. That does not mean you have to be best friends with everybody at your church, thank goodness. Um, but it does mean that you care about everybody at your church. You care about their well-being and you value them as individuals and you are willing to and will spend time with them. This might mean saying hello and striking up a conversation with the older person who usually sits alone. Uh, it might mean not brushing off the annoying little kids who follow you everywhere. It might mean making a meal or cookies for someone or doing some lawn work for them, helping around their house. Um, it might mean simply being there for someone who's hurting. Of course, loving the church is not always easy. It's not. Um, I, I don't want to minimize that. Sometimes the church hurts you, and I'm guessing some of you here have been hurt by the church. There are people who aren't all that likable. There are people who are going to offend you. <coughs> there are people who are going to hurt you. But the thing is, we're going to offend others at the church. We are going to hurt other people. We are going to be inconsiderate and unkind. And that is why a significant part of loving the church is forgiving one another and pursuing reconciliation. But one of the biggest ways that you can love your church is to pray for it. I think we really, really undervalue the power of prayer. Sometimes we, we use it as the, oh, well, you know, if you, if you can't give money, then pray. And I guess, you know, if, if you can't do something serious, then pray. Um, and I, I think that is a disservice to prayer, and I don't think it honors God because God commands us and calls us to pray, and he says that he will work through our prayers. So a way, a huge way that you can love your church is to pray for it. Do you pray for the pastors at your church, that they would have encouragement and discernment and compassion? Do you pray for the Sunday school teachers or small group leaders? Do you pray for the other tired students or the dad who is chronically sick or the stay-at-home mom of a big family? Do you pray for God to build and grow your church for his glory? Do you pray for the finances of your church? Do you pray for the missionaries and ministries that your church supports? Do you pray for the toddlers and the employees and the employers and the retirees? Do you pray for spiritual growth for your church? Do you pray for joy? 
And I know for me, those questions can be really convicting because too often I, I don't pray for that for my church. And so I actually want to stop right now. Sometimes we can be guilty of talking about things like prayer, um, but they're just words. We don't actually apply them to our lives. So I want to stop right now and I want to pray for these things for our churches. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for all of the churches that you have brought here. The students who are engaged and invested in a local church, I pray that you would bless them. I pray for the students who are not uh, attending and engaging in a local church. I pray that, that you would bring them to a church. And I pray for a church. I, I pray for the pastors, for the leaders, that you would give them wisdom, especially uh, with this upcoming Sunday. Lord, as, as they prepare sermons, as they prepare teaching, that you would give them the grace and strength that they need. I pray for the families in our churches who are hurting right now. I pray that you would meet their needs, that you would be their source of hope and encouragement, and that your presence would be revealed to them in a profound way. Lord, I, I pray for the children of our church, for, for the babies, for the toddlers, for the elementary school kids. I pray that you would save those who are not saved. I pray that you would help us to be gospel ambassadors and um, gracious models and examples of older Christians who love you and love your church. I pray for the missionaries and ministries that our churches support Lord, I thank you for the partnership that we can have in the gospel. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to mobilize and equip your church in other parts of the world. I pray for the finances of our churches, especially those that are struggling, that you would provide what we need. I pray that in all that we think, say, and do, at our churches, in all the ways that, that we are involved, that you would use us for your service, that you would grow our churches, that you would bless our churches, that you would help equip us to be better stewards of what you have given us, and that you would help us here to love our churches better. In Jesus' name, amen. Second, a part of our role in the church is that we are called to worship together with the church. Now, we gotta make one thing clear, every part of our lives should be marked by worship. Worship is not supposed to be a once a week thing. 24 seven, that's what we are called to. But we worship in a special way when we gather together with God's people in the context of community. So did you know 2017 is considered to be the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation? And what was at the heart of this movement was a radical return to biblical view of salvation. But what flowed out of this was a return to the biblical view of worship. Uh, the famous and fiery Martin Luther was awoken to the beauty of worship in the context of the local church in a special way. He recognized that worship is different when we are doing it at a church and that it reaps special rewards in our lives. This is what he says. At home, in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, 
when the multitude is gathered together. A fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. Sunday should not be a chore, shouldn't be a burden. It should be a privilege. It should be a delight, not a duty. Many of us either have to go to church, or we might feel like we have to go to church um, because... I don't know, there's a million reasons. You feel obligated, your parents really want you to, maybe you're in ministry, and so you're just going because you feel like you have to. But true worship is not just showing up and faking our way through. True worship is recognizing the glory and sufficiency of God and responding with praise together as a community. As Martin Luther said, letting a fire break its way through. But that does not just happen. We don't turn on the joyful switch in our hearts and it automatically changes from feelings of discouragement or sadness or tiredness to joy. I wish it did, but it doesn't. That means that we need to prepare our hearts for worship. For me, just practically, that usually starts the night before. I try to get a pretty good sleep. On Sunday mornings, I also try to stay off social media. Um, I try to spend some time, even if it's just a few minutes, reading God's word. Something, I'll tell you, I have some insider information because my dad is a pastor. Um, and I know that pastors are really, really encouraged when you do one thing that may seem very small. And it's when you read the text that is going to be preached on. So you may not know, um, but if you do, it might be put in the bulletin or like my dad just preaches through a book so I always know what's coming next if you read that beforehand for one you will engage with the sermon and the text in a, in a different better way but also that is just a huge encouragement to your pastor because it shows that you have taken some time to prepare yourself for worship um, I also like listening to some music before I go to church that really just helps prepare and stoke my heart for worship. Some of my favorite artists help me do that are people like Shane and Shane, uh, Keith and Kristen Getty, Matt Papa, and of course, King's Kaleidoscope. I am such a fan girl, you guys. I'm gonna be so freaking out tonight. Um, but they, seriously, like, uh, Jesus Paid It All, their version of that, Come Down Now. Those songs prepare my heart for worship so much. Okay, another, another just practical way of preparing yourself for church. I know this family, and they have this thing called a prayer room. So this is just, it's not a magical road. It's just a street. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you right now. It's not a prayer road. It sounds weird. It's not. It's just a, an ordinary street that they pass on their way to church. And as a family, when they reach this road, it's a marker for them. So they stop. Whatever they're, they're talking, music, they stop it all, and they just pray for like a couple minutes for their service, for their pastor, for their church, for their day. And I love that. There are really a million things that you can do to prepare your heart for worship if you are intentional. Third, being part of a local church means that we are held accountable to it, and we are called to hold others accountability, accountable. Um, so accountability is simply being held to a set of expectations. It's having people care about us enough to teach us about holiness, to call us out on sin when necessary, and to meet us with grace and love. Right now, as young people, if our parents 
are Christians and, and we're still living at home, probably a lot of our accountability is going to come through that. But if you are living away from home or your parents are not Christians, the church is going to play a crucial role in helping hold you accountable. And as awkward and uncomfortable as accountability may seem and feel, it is desperately, desperately necessary. We live in a world where temptations just absolutely surround us at school, at work, at home, in the car, on our phones. They are everywhere. Um, but accountability is like this loving set of guardrails that protect us from falling off a cliff. They help us to pursue holiness and Christ-likeness and fight and even avoid sin. A way that I like to think about it is like a baseball team. Um, my mom loves baseball. Any other baseball fans out there? Okay, one person in the back likes baseball here. That is very sad, people. Okay, we are in outside of Toronto right now, and Toronto Blue Jays are the only Canadian baseball team, so they are my mother's favorite team ever. And I, I'm going to be very disappointed to report to her and that all these people came to the conference, and nobody even likes the Toronto Blue Jays. Anyways, <laughs> I like the Toronto Blue Jays, um, and in our home, we, we really like watching baseball. Else does, but we like watching baseball. We watch the Toronto Blue Jays, but you can think of any sports team, unless nobody likes sports here. But I think we all know how a sports team works. Um, all right, thank you, thank you. Uh, so, think of any sports team. Um, players on the team need coaches on the team to make sure they practice, to push them, to do better, to teach them, to keep them motivated, to remind them of their commitment, to keep them relying on each and every team member. So imagine a player who decides that they do not want the coach's help. Um, they don't want to be corrected when they make the wrong play. Uh, they don't want to learn new skills. They just want to do their own thing. This person would not be on the team for long. If this player wants to succeed and play for a long time, and play in bigger arenas and for bigger teams, he needs to accept and embrace the coach's accountability. The church is the same way. It's our way of proclaiming to the world that we are a team, we're a family, we need each other, we love each other, and we are pushing each other to strive for holiness, to strive for perfection. We're saying that we love Jesus more than sin. So accountability is a key part of belonging to the church. Finally, we are called to serve the church. Serving is about meeting needs and reaching out with love. But it will look different depending on your church's size, depending on your church's particular needs, depending on your church's context, on the people there. And it will look different depending on your particular gifts and passions and abilities and even stage of life. But five ways, just five ways that college students can serve their church. And these are pretty general because I, I really do believe that you know how to serve your church better than I do. Um, first, serving with music. This is something that a lot of us have some musical abilities. We can play an instrument, we can sing, and churches are often looking for musicians, for people to help lead worship. You can do that. Um, second, serving with child discipleship. This could be formal or it could be informal. Serving in the nursery, serving by teaching Sunday school, serving by helping in youth group, um, or serving by simply investing 
in the kids and young people of your church. Taking one out for, I don't know, McDonald's. I was going to say coffee, but kids don't drink coffee. Um, do not take kids out for coffee. Their parents will not like you anymore. Um, but there's so many, so many ways that you can help those younger than you. Third, serve with administration or tech. Okay, young people and technology. I'll tell you now, lots of older people do not know how to use technology very well. It's not a stereotype, it's true. There are some who do, but there are many who don't. And at many churches, to have a young person who would be willing to help with like a church website, the slides, the bulletin, oh my goodness, you guys, that would be a huge, huge help. Um, third, serving with encouragement. This is something every single person can do. It is not big, it does not uh, demand tons of commitment. All it takes is taking time to encourage one person, to go and talk to them for a few minutes, to say something kind about them, to affirm a gift in them. And fifth, to serve with hospitality. Now, this is something else that it will look different depending on your living circumstances, it will depend on your time, but every Christian can be hospitable. You can have someone over to your home, or you could maybe take someone out, or you could just spend time with people. Ultimately, students need the church, and the church needs students. I was recently reminded of something Dr. Russell Moore said. He is an author and someone who is very smart about the area of Christian ethics. And he said this, saying, I love Jesus, but not the church, is as irrational as saying to your best friend, I like you, I just can't stand being around you. Following Jesus, being in Christ, means loving the church, means worshiping with the church, means being held accountable to the church, and it means serving the church, no matter how old you are. So we have a little bit of time now. I brought my phone up not to check my messages, but to keep time on the clock. So we have about 20 minutes. If you guys have any questions about specific areas of serving the church or about anything I talked about last night, getting into God's word, um, getting the help of older individuals, not wasting our youth. And if it's super awkward and there's no questions, then we can always go with it. So either way, we all win. Uh, so, are there any questions right now? And if there's silence, we'll just listen to the nice person next door and we can hear some of his session. Question, yes. Um, so for some of us who go on placement or yes. exchange, we're going to be in, in a new line for a short time. Yes, I do. Okay, so the question for people who maybe didn't hear is, what about if you go on placement and you're away in a different context for one month, two months, six months, eight months, should, is it worth to, like, get involved in a church there or to more keep contact with your, your old church, try to serve there? Um, and I would say the answer is both. I think it's extremely unhealthy for a Christian to be away from a local church for long term. I, I think you will face enough spiritual difficulties being away 
from the physical location of your physical of your regular local church that I would say absolutely find a church um, where you are that you can serve and something like your pastor pastors um, may be very happy to help you look and help you find a church in that area but I would also say if your plan is always to go back to your local church to keep that connection there to keep being held accountable there even even to like update your leaders there your spiritual mentors on what's going on with you but i would say it's it's very dangerous to be away from your local church and not have a church where you are good good question any other questions yeah uh, i have a question about how you would is what happens if in your church or you're coming into a church that has existing structures, traditions, practices that may need to be changed and you want to help affect change, but like how do you go about doing that? And I think you kind of answered it by, by saying you respect those things that are there and especially people who are in authority over you, but you look for ways to make change. So one example is this girl emailed me, and now she's younger, uh, so she's like late middle school or early high school, and she was going to this church, and the teaching there, she was just like, realized that it was really light and fluffy, and her friend was going to this other church that it was doctrinally rich, and she was like, wow, I love this church, but her parents did not want to switch, and so she was like, well, should I like go talk to the pastor and tell him that he's not, like not teaching the Bible? And I was like, hmm, I don't think that's the I like really don't think that's gonna go over that well. Um, instead, I told her. Well, I mean, I basically told her to talk to her parents and to not email random people on the internet really really big hard questions like that. But I did try to help her. And so my my suggestion to her was that she talk to the people in her proximity, so to talk to her parents about this. Um, if she has mentors at the church, to talk to them about it, and not not in a way that is like, I'm right, you're wrong, let me, smart young person, tell you, dumb old person, how you're doing this all wrong. Never say that, it does not go well. Um, but instead, to come at it with an attitude of humility, but to also not, not be afraid to use your voice, um, but to really look for ways that you can be heard. So not, I wouldn't say like in a public forum, like maybe don't like bring up something really big at a business meeting or something like that, but to be willing to talk about it with people outside of that, or if there are smaller ways. So say like your church, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of bad examples, bear with me. So say your church only sings um, like hymns, which I love hymns, but you know that there are some really great, beautiful, doctrinally strong contemporary songs that not just you, but a lot of people in your church would like to sing. Um, maybe you could talk to the worship leader and suggest one song. Suggest a song that maybe even is like a cross 
between a hymn and a contemporary song. These are not good examples. But my point is, look for small ways to start something, to start a conversation. Even if it doesn't go somewhere immediately, just start it. Yeah, so it's a really good question. It's also tough because it's a very situation by situation uh, kind of case, but that's where it starts. Any other questions? She's just trusting. Okay, there he is. So if you've got, what if you go into a church with like 300 people on a Sunday morning, it's hard to like have community there. You can have community through small groups and stuff. But every Sunday morning, what do you do in a church with all of these people where everyone feels very small? Yeah, okay. I actually do have experience with this, even though I go to a church with about 60 people. I used to live in Texas, and we went to a church with a membership of 3,000. Um, it's a big church. Uh, so now, in Texas, it's a, a weird spiritual climate because it's like really good for you to be a member of a church. So we only got about 1,500 people each Sunday, but still, that's massive. And I, like, I totally get that. Like, when you show up at a big church and you don't know everybody, um, that is a very different dynamic. But I think if you are investing in small groups that you are intentionally carving community into this, that you are um, pursuing relationships with people. I think that's the most important thing. But then I would also try to also be intentional about trying to meet other people in your church. So like on a Sunday morning, you don't know everybody, not just sitting with the same people every Sunday, being willing to introduce yourself to other people. Um, trying to get to know as, as many people as you can, even though if like logistically you can't meet or know everyone, you can still try to. And and that's that's what I would say. Yeah. Any other questions, thoughts? What's our time? Okay. Yes. If you're if you're moving, you're starting out college, like what would you what would how would you frame up kind of your uh some checklist in terms of like what are you looking for? Uh, whether you might not find endorsing the nomination yeah. church faculty. How, how, how would you frame what your priorities are Yeah, phenomenal question. So this question is, um, if you were going to college, looking for a new church, what, what is the, the checklist? What are the non-negotiables when you're looking for a new church? Um, first of all, I'm just going to say something super radical and that's going to sound weird. And probably since most of you are students, it's, it's not going to apply that much. But this is something that I, I have mentioned to people considering college, is that we always think about college and church in the sense that we'll choose our college and then we'll try to find a good church. Well, what if we chose a good church? and then try to find a good college around it. I'm not saying you have to, just throwing out the idea. Um, but when it comes to a church, uh, there are going to be different non-negotiables for everyone. Like, for you, denomination may be a non-negotiable. Right now, like, it, it is for me. I'm not looking for a new church, but I'm pretty convinced of my denomination's beliefs. That doesn't mean that if a, another church that aligns very much with it, that I won't go to it. Um, but I'll just tell you guys right now, I'm a Baptist. So I'm not going to go to a church where they baptize infants, like a Presbyterian church. Um, but I'm not saying they're not Christians. I love Presbyterians so much. Um, but I'm saying for me, for me, that's that's non-negotiable. But I would say the biggest things are 
a, a leadership team or a pastor who is teaching from the Bible. Um, if you go to a church on a Sunday and they never open the Bible, run the other way, screaming. Um, that teaches faithfully from the Bible. So you need to know the Bible to know that they are teaching faithfully. I would look for a church that seems to love people. Uh, that, that doesn't mean that if you go one Sunday and you don't feel that welcomed, you're like, no, I'm never coming back to this church. But if the church consistently seems like there's no fellowship, like there's no unity, like there's no harmony, then I would say that doesn't seem like a healthy situation to walk into. Honestly, I would probably say those are the two, the two biggest things for me. Uh, for you, yeah, you need to kind of ask yourself what, what are the other things? But I also think we need to be very careful that we don't look at prospective churches like we're church shopping. Like, oh, first of all, does this place have lots of students? Like, oh, can I meet a potential mate here? Like, are there lots of singles here? Um, or even like, oh, do I love the, the music style of this church? I, I don't think those should be the things that make or break you attending a church. Does this church preach the gospel? Does it align with my personal convictions? Do these people love each other? Do they love the word? That's what I would say. Any other questions? Yeah. So how do you, in, people who are engaged in parachurch, how do you move them towards the local church when they see parachurch as their church engagement? And especially when maybe they, they only have maybe a, a couple hours a week to maybe yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So, like, people who are involved in parachurch, how do you move them towards the local church, especially if they don't have lots of time um, to engage? So, I, I would say, like, if we're talking about students, um, then I would say by making that a central part of your ministry to them, by advocating for the local church, by um, being very clear with them that they need the local church, that be willing to say that for your spiritual growth. I love our ministry, but it's it's not enough. You, you need the local church. Um, I love the local church, you, you need the local church. Um, and, and then I would also not try to put pressure on them in that it's like, oh, if you become part of a church, you need to like serve 15 hours every week. Um, if they only have a few hours a week, then encourage them to give what they can have. If right now, all that is, is attending church on Sunday mornings, I, I think that's okay. Um, and then if it's like if it's like staff workers who are involved in parachurch and just like are having a, a difficulty seeing the value of the local church, um, I would I would basically say the same thing that you try try to be a spokesperson for the good of the local church that you be willing to have those conversations that you don't talk negatively about the church even though there are negatives um, in the church we're a family we're very messy but that you don't put the church down, that um, you don't just like complain about it, but that you truly be someone who models a love for the church. It's, it's, a, it's something that is a humongous issue that, that could be like so many different kinds of scenarios. So I don't wanna like say something that's, that's actually not helpful, but that's kind of where I would start. All right. Yes. 
say there's a, would you say there's like a, any challenging attitude that we have that we could bring in to the church that holds us back from certain, certain issues in our own heart that, that you would say that holds us back um, so are there certain issues that hold us back? Not in the church, but in ourselves. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, I see, I see what you're saying. So, like, certain certain issues with us, like certain problems that we have. Yes, I think we have lots of problems, and I know that because I have lots of problems. Um, I think we could just start listing them. Pride, uh, I think sometimes we think that we don't need the local church because we can figure these things out on ourselves, we can create our own community, we just, we don't need it. Um, I think a lack of gratitude for the local church and the, thing that they, the things that they provide. I think a misunderstanding of how the church works, um, not recognizing that Christ loves the church and we need to love the church too. Um, a lack of us being in the word. If we're, one thing that I've learned is that a lot of our spiritual disciplines are very tied together. So if we're not reading God's word regularly, if we're not praying, if we're not sharing the gospel, if we're not memorizing scripture, then very likely we're not going to want to be in the community of the church that much. Um, so those are a few things. We have lots of problems, so I'm sure there are more. So is the lack of community in that there are like not other young people, or is it that um, there is deeper issues? To, uh, okay, okay. So question is, you're in a doctrinally sound church, but there is community that is lacking. So there may not be a lot of people your age or opportunities to engage and invest in. Is that grounds to find another church? Um, that's a very big question, and I. I don't want to give a yes or no answer because I, I don't know that specific situation. Um, but in one sense, it's a little bit similar to my own church, especially a couple years ago. Small church. My brother and I were like some of the only young people there. I have never been part of a youth group because we've never had enough youth. Never part of a college and career group because we never had enough people my age. Um, and that was like a little bit hard because... I would like to have fellowship with other young Christians my age, um, but God did not provide that. And we did not leave my church, also because my dad was a pastor, but that was that was another reason. And we had families who came to our church and like many, many years ago, and it was like, oh, you don't have that many other young families, so we're leaving. And we were like, wait, but you could you could be a young family here that could serve in a way that other, other people who were in different life circumstances, they couldn't serve. You, you do have a valuable part to play. So the age issue, I don't think is a reason to leave a church. As far as opportunities for plugging in, um, again, I don't know the specific scenario, but I know that often at face value, it seems like there are no opportunities, but if you just look a lot harder or get really creative, there are ways to serve your church, and those ways 
maybe just by hang, like hanging out with people at your church, like trying to spend lots of time with those people, that is a service to them. You don't have to officially serve in the music ministry or children's ministry if all those slots are filled. You can just spend time encouraging other people and praying for other people. Um, so that's what I would say. But again, specific situations will differ, and I think there are times that we, we should leave churches but I think we should not be quick to do that. All right, let me look at my time here. Yeah, we are basically up. So I'm gonna pray for us really quick, and then you guys can go. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for your presence with us, and I thank you for this conference. I thank you for all the churches that are represented here. I thank you for the young people, for the individuals that are here. And I pray that as we go, that you would increase our joy, that you would increase our love for the local church, and that, above all, you would increase our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, and I'll also be just hanging out around here. But... To learn more or to register for next year, go to p2cplus.com.